It's a great uh, honor to be here again tonight. I, I, I confess that uh, I uh, originally was uh, going to speak this morning and then tonight and then uh, Sunday school. And so you try to jam everything you know about missions into three meetings and then uh, pastor needed to preach because he's been gone. And so trying to jam everything I know into two meetings. And so I'm a little uh, off key on... on uh, uh, I'm going to try to focus on the best missions message I know, and I'm going to try to preach that tonight. And so uh, you can uh, open your Bibles to, we won't turn there, I won't start yet, I'm going to tell you a couple of things, but we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1. But uh, give you a little bit of uh, <clears throat> what I've been doing for over 15 years, I was involved with Brother Dick Webster in the Global Independent Baptist Missions Office. I showed slides of starting a church in Baghdad. <coughs> uh, we planted a church in Baghdad during the war. I took uh, six pastors over there. And uh, <coughs> we had a, uh, actually, a pastor called me and asked me if I'd get involved in a Bible institute in Jordan. Can I lower that just a little bit? I'm getting cross-eyed. Uh, so we had, uh, I had gone over there to start a, to uh, participate in a Bible institute in Jordan. And we met in the basement of a Protestant church over there. They let us use it. Uh, it was kind of secret. And one day we had to scatter because all the students in that school were from Muslim families. And uh, they, they kept a pretty close watch on, on the danger level, and we had to scatter one day. So we, that went on for a couple of weeks, and thought six hours a day for a couple of weeks, and then... Uh, they, they said I should take a break, and I took a f- couple of days. <clears throat> I had one other pastor with me on that invent- adventure. Uh, and then uh, before I got back to teaching those students, uh, they came to ask me if I would go to Baghdad and do the same thing in Baghdad. And the war, this is during the war. This was uh, 2017, I think. But... Uh, I don't remember the year exactly, but the war was going on, bombs were going off, helicopters flying around. And so I rented a, a duplex, and we had, they had a duplex that would seat about 12, they had a dining table that would seat about 12 or 14 people, had a big dining table. So we rented that, uh, and we had students come, and the students that were coming were coming from a, um, not a, uh, there were, they were, they were coming from a Bible background, but not Baptist background. And uh, so the amazing thing is this group of students was handing out Bibles to the American tanks when they came into their community in Baghdad. And so they were believers. Now, b- believers is a better term than Christian in uh, the Arab world, because in the Arab world, um, the term Christian is a political term. It simply means you're not a Muslim. It doesn't mean that you're a believer. So they use the term believer that more identifies accurately to the kind of people that we are, okay? So, so I, uh, we went to, I had another man with me, and we taught uh, through the Bible. He, he taught, we did exposition on every book of the Bible, at least an outline and the author and date and all that. Went through the entire uh, Bible. He did New Testament, and I did Old Testament. And... Uh, then we gave them a certificate of completion, these students, and all of them were teenagers, unmarried teenagers, except 
for we had one uh, we had a translator lady whose student whose son was a student in Bible college in America, and that's how we got an invitation to come and do this. Uh, then we had one student who was 40 years old. His name was Ronnie George, and Ronnie. Uh, he wanted to be a pastor, and he kept after me, he wanted to be a pastor, wanted to be a pastor. And we went through this, and he got a certificate of completion of our institute work, and uh, he made me promise to come back. That was the first trip. We went to Jordan, and after I was in Jordan, they asked me to go to Baghdad, 100 miles across the burning sand in a Yukon, six Yukons, two abreast, 100 miles an hour across the burning sand. This is, this is exciting. And so uh, we... We had, uh, Ronnie wanted to start a church in uh, Baghdad. He's a, a, he's a, a Syrian, not a Syrian, he's, he is a Syrian, but he um, grew up in Baghdad. And so um, we had, uh, Dave Davis was one of the guys that was with me on that trip. And so we had some other men from New England, and then... We had two men. This was a mistake on my part. I, you know, I, in a casual way, put out an email. I have the GIBF mail list. With about that time, there was about 800 preachers on it. And I said, we're going to Baghdad. Does anybody want to go along? And I, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, reference. Well, there's two guys from South Dakota that sent me uh, an email and said, we'll meet you there. And I didn't know them at all. I didn't know them, never heard of them. So that was a little bit surprising. We got to Baghdad and we got out of the we got off the we got out of the airport and there were some taxis lined up and so this uh I said, Well you guys get in that car, you guys get in that car and I'll take this car and and uh, these two guys from uh one of them was a trumpet player and the other one was an evangelist and uh the trumpet player says to me, he's not he wasn't a preacher, but he came to play his horn, and he did, and he said, uh, don't try to separate me from my, uh, from, uh, my friend, his, he, he wasn't a pastor, he's an evangelist, he said, I came to protect him, and you're not going to get between us, don't try to tell us what to do, and I thought, oh boy, this is going to be like youth camp, <laughs> six pastors away together, worse than youth camp, so, uh, anyway, uh, so one day I was out with Ronnie. We were looking for a place to start a church. He's driving an old American car. That was a big deal to have an American car over there. And we're going around, but there's a curfew, and he had to be in by sundown. Uh, there was a curfew on the citizens. They couldn't be out after sundown. So they took me back to the, the Hammurabi Hotel. And uh, so uh, when I got to the hotel, the... Uh, the, they told me, uh, I went to sit down, and the two guys that were from uh, out west were sitting there eating, and I started to sit down and eat with them. I said, where's the other guys? I had told them to stay at the hotel because we're not tourists, and there's nothing to see, and you don't need to be going out. We're just going out to see if we can find a place that we can start a church. But like I said, anyway, they didn't stay. They rented a, a van, and uh, six of them, five of them, uh, took the van, and they had to see Babylon. They couldn't get that close to Babylon without going to see Babylon. One of them was a Greek scholar. He's a friend of mine, and he uh, he reads Hebrew for his morning devotional, and so he wasn't about to get that close to 
Babylon without uh, being able to get some firsthand information. And so they went to Babylon and uh, the um, uh, I forgot which uh, army was in charge of Babylon, but they didn't get in. They didn't have enough time to get their clearance to get in. So on the way back, they stopped at some kind of a touristy place. I don't know what it was, a store or something. There were, there were some baskets we found in the, in the van, but when they came back, they got under attack by uh, some terrorist who shot up the van and, and shot my friend Dave Davis across the back and shot my friend John Kelly, Pastor John Kelly, shot him de- dead in the van. And he, he died immediately. So I get back to the hotel was going to sit down to eat with these other two that came from uh, the two that I didn't know that were sitting at the hotel. And I said, where are the guys at? And they said, oh, they ran a van and went to Babylon. And I just about put my fork in my salad, and a guy walks up to me uh, that worked in the hotel, and he said, are you Mr. Lewis? I said, yes. And he walked away. And so I was just about to stab my salad again, and... He comes back and he said, are, are you Mr. Lewis? I said, yes. He said, room 108? I said, yes. He said, this phone calls for you. And he handed me the phone. And it was a phone. There was a person on it uh, by the name of Paige, Beth Page. She was the assistant to Bremer. Bremer was in charge of the, the uh, military and the civilian activity during the war. And she was the uh, civilian attache to him. Her parents were missionaries, Methodist missionaries. So she was somewhat understanding of our predicament that we were in, but uh, uh, she told me that our group had been under attack and that uh, they, the van had been shot up and one of our men had been uh, killed. And so I'm standing there with that phone in my hand and this driver was going to go back to the green zone that would be Saddam Hussein's uh, palace. And so I said, I'm going with you. And I went over and collected those guys. They were all bandaged up and uh, brought them back. And so at this point, I hadn't even, hadn't even talked to anybody about it. I hadn't called anybody. I mean, they didn't tell us what to do about this in Bible college, needless to say. So, uh, so the two guys that were in the hotel went down. There was a bank of computers down in the basement of the hotel. And they went down there and they came upstairs and they said, well, the word is out. I said, what do you mean? He said, we just got an email from Costa Rica asking us who got shot. We hadn't called anybody. And uh, Beth Page said there was a lid on the news. They wouldn't, they wouldn't put that out until, you know, we had notified people and so forth. So the only thing we can believe that is that the, the soldiers, after they rescued our guys, uh, they came and got them in Humvees and took them to the green zone. And uh, they must have uh, contacted their families. And, and they, didn't, they didn't know who, who, what, who it was, but they just told about the incident. So I'm wandering around, and uh, what, what's next? What, what uh, is the next uh, thing to do? So I called... Jane Kelly, she's a good friend of my wife and I, and they lived about an hour away, pastored church in uh, Wickford, Rhode Island. And uh, he, he was a Marine. In fact, he had uh, boasted to his church. Uh, after I had turned the church over to my son, I had gone down to his church kind of to stay out of my son's uh, 
face and let him get acquainted with the church. And I didn't have a place to preach, so I went to Brother Kelly's church one uh, Sunday night, and I didn't know, but he was waiting for me to give him an answer as to whether or not he could go with me to Baghdad. Uh, he knew I'd been over there one time, and I, he knew I was going back. And he said, so we went out for uh, something to eat after church, and he said, so, Brother Lewis, have you decided whether or not I can go to Baghdad with you? And, of course, John's a, he's a manly person, has a wonderful wife, and, uh, and he's a good friend, and, and he's, no, uh, he's no wimp or sissy kind of a guy. He was a Marine. And so I said, well, John, I'd be happy to have you go with me. And so he told his church, he said, I got what I wanted for Christmas. I'm going to Baghdad with Brother Lewis. So I called his wife. It was about now 11 o'clock at night in Baghdad. I don't know what time it was. It was sometime in late afternoon in Rhode Island. And uh, I called my wife. We had a Thorea phone, a satellite phone. And I called my wife. And she, I said, I don't know what you're doing, but I want you to go down to Jane Kelly's house. And, and so... I told her that uh, Jane, I, I didn't really give my wife any uh, details. I just told her to go be with Jane Kelly, and she was out with grandchildren. I told her to take the kids home and go over at Jane's. I had to call her and tell her that John had been shot. And so she did, and I called Jane, and she answered the phone. And, and I said to her, I said, uh, Jane, this is Brother Lewis, and I'm calling from Baghdad. And I want you to know that uh, John was out with some other preachers and they were under attack and John got shot and, and I told her that and she said, Brother don't joke with me about stuff like that. And I said, I repeated myself almost verbatim and I said, Jane, this is Brother Lewis. I'm in Baghdad and this is not a joke. And so that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I didn't intend to do that. I didn't sign up for this, but... But we have to be able to do hard things. So, anyway, uh, the military flew his body home. I had to go and collect his things and, and get them back. John had a good testimony in the hotel. He'd witnessed to the people there, and he was witnessing to the hotel workers. They came to me and told me I had to pay for the van. The van I have in a slideshow, it's all shot up. Windows are shot out. There's bullet holes all over it. All the windows are shot out. And this uh, little Opal car came up behind him and shot him in the, uh, the back of the van and on the right side and then around uh, in the back again and shot it up. And uh, they jumped the curb and went over on the, the... The driver didn't get shot, and he went over on the curb on the other side of the... It was a divided street in town. And uh, he went over on the other side and stopped somebody and asked him where the nearest hospital was and they sent him to really it was a first aid station for the military and so they got over there and the Iraqi um, military was or the um, yeah they were about to send him to um, uh, one of their hospitals and uh, then about three Humvees showed up Americans and they took charge and put them in a Humvee and took them to the green zone where the Americans were uh, in charge so 
That's uh, probably one of the most difficult things, that, that the most difficult thing I've, I've ever uh, done. But we had a window of opportunity. And I have to tell you there, that I got a call from a pastor after I got back. And this, uh, he said uh, this to me. He said, who gave you the right to do that? Who gave you the authority to do that? And I said, uh, I said, you know, the Lord opens the doors and the church sends people. And so I didn't need your approval. So uh, there was a window of opportunity when the Americans were in charge of all the uh, checkpoints and all the customs entry points. And there was an opportunity. There are some believers in uh, Baghdad. When I was there, there was about, uh, I forget now, there's less than uh, 200,000. There was a million non-Muslims or believers in the country, and there's less than 200,000 today because they've run them off and killed many pastors and many uh, churches have been closed. And uh, so we had the opportunity, there was a window of opportunity to work with some people that wanted to uh, pass out the gospel, spread the gospel, and, and so Ronnie George wanted to start a Baptist church after we got through with our institute work. And so, <clears throat> and so that's what we did, and we started uh, uh, Bible Baptist Church in Baghdad. And he put up a big sign, put up a big sign on this building. And he said uh, in one of his letters, and we, you know, we bought him a generator and we raised money to help him. And he put up a big sign and he said uh, it, was a, it was a big residence that was a two-level residence and had rooms for classes. And, and, uh, and the, but the front, all across the front was glass, clear across the front. And he had his pulpit kind of facing that. And the street was over there, so the pulpit was back here. But there was a glass in between. And so he said uh, when he would preach, he'd hear a car coming and he'd go, he said, no bomb, and he'd go on preaching. And, uh, and he was waiting for, for somebody to attack him from, but that's the way they'd do. They'd drive by churches and he had a big sign up that said Bible Baptist Church. And uh, so uh, there is a remnant of those people still uh, over there and meeting together. They have zones of people. If you live in a, believers area you can work with those believers but you get in trouble if you witness to people that don't live that are in the Muslim areas and so that's the way it was it's not that way so much now they've pretty much run all the witnessing people out of the country or killed them so anyway uh, I, I started out the ministry with missions. That's where I, I, my heart's always been for missions and missionaries. That's not the only exciting thing that's happened, but it's, a, it's the worst exciting thing that's happened. Uh, and, uh, but God uh, blessed that. We got a church started. We helped some young uh, people to get prepared for uh, future ministry. And uh, the, Ronnie George finally moved to Canada. His brother lived in Canada. And he finally had heart disease. He didn't have any insurance, and he, he finally died. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. But uh, we did leave a testimony over there. And they, uh, there is a radio station that broadcasts the gospel. It's run by Baptist people, and it broadcasts in Baghdad. And you should pray for people that do stuff like that because it's very dangerous. 
and uh, they, they become targets. So, so anyway, I got in the ministry thinking, how in the world could the Lord use a guy uh, like me? And so uh, I've helped churches in Guyana. I've helped churches in uh, many different places. I, one of the, one of the uh, good opportunities I've had is with uh, a missionary in Malta, which is 60 miles off the coast of Sicily. In the, in the Mediterranean Sea, a beautiful place. And uh, so they ha- they, uh, there's, there's two, I think there's two independent Baptist churches on the island of Malta. And so, uh, and, there are, uh, and there are places all over the world that are hungry for somebody to come and help them, somebody to come and minister to them. We have a lot of churches in this country that need help. We're closing churches left and right and sometimes uh, there are some things that could be done differently and the churches could survive if somebody would uh, take interest and maybe apply some common sense and uh, scriptural understanding of, of the work. And so that's what I've spent my time doing. I've, I've been called to, uh, I think Pastor said, four or five uh, churches and none of them, I, I, I didn't apply to any of them. And all of them except one, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I speak at them. I'm, I'm welcome to go back to them. I think it's one thing to be invited somewhere. It's another thing to be invited back. <laughs> and so I was with a church. I was working with a church in Texas uh, in between meetings. I do a lot of missions conferences, some revival meetings. And I was with a church in Texas uh, where a friend of mine was uh, pastoring. He'd gone to school with my son in Springfield, and I became acquainted with him. And so I went to his church, and he was glad to have me there, and I, he uh, let me participate in the church and in between the meetings that I was preaching. And uh, so uh, he had family problems, and uh, issues came up, and he had to leave. And uh, so he went into business with his father. He's not in the ministry any longer. He's, he's in business with his father, doing very well with the business. Uh, but, uh, so he had said to me, he said, I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you, uh, he said, I want you to take charge of the church while I, he said, uh, in the meeting tonight, I'm leaving. So it was a business meeting. I didn't usually go to him, but I happened to be there for that one. And so he said, uh, that he wanted me to be involved. And so I, I went to the men's meeting and he, he showed up and said, pretty much I'm done and left. He didn't say anything about me or what they, he expected them to do or whatever. And so they had a guy, uh, his name's Harold Wells, that had been in that church uh, pretty much since its inception. And he was a faithful, loyal, he was on the staff full time, got a great family. And so Brother Wells had been preparing for ministry for years. And so when the pastor left, the men, the first thing they said after he left is, well, we need to get a pulpit committee. And they started talking about making a pulpit committee. And I said, uh, excuse me, can I say something? I said, uh, you need to take uh, first things first. And so they said, well, okay. And they asked me, what did I mean by that? I said, well, Harold Wells is here, and he's been in this church since he was a young man, and he's been here almost since the inception of the church, and he's preparing for ministry. Why wouldn't you consider him first? I'm not saying you should call him. I'm saying that he ought to be on the list. He ought to be on the short list at the beginning, and it's uh, and so anyway, he's been pastoring there for the last ten years, doing a great job. Uh, 
and the church is growing, and that's where I go when I'm in Texas. So uh, Harold Wells, he's a, he's a good man. So that's what we do. We, we try to help churches, and I've been with a church in Vermont up at Burlington. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, church where it was a, actually a church was a, a church that had a, a pastor that made a, uh, an error in, his, in one of his sermons, and they fired him. And so uh, he started another church, and they went into, and they, they called me and asked me to come, and, uh, come by, and I met with them, and then they asked me to preach, and I said, okay, well, I happen to be going to Canada, and I was on my way, and I said, I'll stop by, and they said, well, you can stay over the weekend and preach. So I said, okay. So I stayed and preached, and then they said, uh, uh, they said I said I was going to recommend somebody for them, and they, they said, we're not going to take anybody you recommend. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, why? They said, because we want you. I said, oh, no, I'm not available. I, that's, you know, I, I wasn't even thinking along that line at all. But, uh, but in the long and short of it, they, uh, they got me to come and try to help them. And I told them that I wasn't for hire and that I was sent by my church and my church could send me there. But I was working for the Lord and doing what he tried, uh, trying to do what he wanted. So anyway, I went there. But I wanted to bring that up because in the, in the short term, the pastor that they fired, they were grieved over and they couldn't, they, they were beating themselves up because they, they knew they made a mistake. But he died in the process. And I told him, I said, if you'd have let God handle that, you wouldn't have had to get your hands dirty. And people sometimes take what is God's business into their own hands and they don't need to. God hasn't lost control of anything. And he knows who's supposed to be the pastor of the church. And he knows how to change that if he needs to. So anyway, a lot of churches don't have enough uh, maturity, common sense, spiritual understanding in those areas. And I don't know, for some reason I've seen an awful lot of different things and have been able to help four or five churches. And I want to keep trying to help churches and raise money for missions. Because we need some good men on the mission field who who are not in it for the money and are not in it for the notoriety or the popularity or the income. They're in it for the Lord, and that's what we're in it for. I, I'm telling you right now, no matter what kind of a situation I face or might face, whether it's a, a collision on the highway or health issues or a controversy in a church, none of it's worthy to be compared with the deliverance from which I've been delivered and what God's done for me. I'm so thankful to be saved. I'm so thankful that God reached down for me. I wasn't looking for him at all. I wasn't planning on getting saved and going to church uh, three or four times a week for the rest of my life. But I wouldn't change it for anything. I wouldn't change it for anything. This is the best pathway that uh, could ever come my way. And I've got more friends today than I ever had when I had to had that little gang of fuck buddies, and I got friends all over the world, and most of them are preachers, and so I'm so thankful for that. Open your Bibles, First Samuel chapter one. Let's stand together. <clears throat> I uh, hope you'll be patient with me because I didn't. A pastor asked me to say something, so I ramble when I don't have an outline in front of me. So, 
anyway, I'm glad you're here tonight, and I hope you enjoy being in the Lord's house today. We're thankful for the good preaching this morning and the good fellowship at dinner, and what a great time that I've had, and I hope you are having a good time too. I want to talk to you about Hannah's three prayers. And uh, I need to read a few verses in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now, there was a certain man of Ramoth Zophim Mount, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, and the, uh, the son of Jeho- uh, Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tophu, the son of Zuph. I'm glad I got through that. An Ephraimite, and he had two wives. Now, that triggers my thought right away before I go any further. We know he has got some... A spiritual uh, corruption. He's got some misunderstanding about God's purpose. It, and Bible uh, significantly says here, and he had two wives. Okay, we'll mark that down because uh, that's not God's plan for a man. He said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That was already in the law before this was written. So we know right away that he was living outside of God's uh, pre-concluded plan for a man, okay? So notice here, it said, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, which means favored. And the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man, uh, Elkanah, went, to, uh, went, uh, went out of his city yearly, and I want you to notice that, yearly, this is a yearly thing that he and Hannah did and all the other uh, Israelites did to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Shiloh is a place of peace from which the Prince of Peace was about to come. And the two sons of Eli, which means the lofty one, Hophni and Phinehas, and I told you already, one of them, his name means the tongue of a serpent, and the other one means fist fighter. And so the priests of the Lord, they were the, the sons of the priest and, and uh, functioned as assistant pastors. That's kind of the function that they had. They were ministering to the people, handling the offerings, and uh, taking the offerings and the, and, uh, from the people. But these two, and if we had time to read in chapter 2, they were immoral, and they took advantage of the women and the offerings that came in. And they took more than they were supposed to take, and they took advantage of the women. And so when the time was, that's in 1 Samuel 2 and 12, but we're not going to turn there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and unto all her sons and her daughters, plural, portions. But unto Hannah, he gave a worthy portion. Hannah's who name means favored. She was not only favored of him, but she was favored of the Lord. And you'll see that as we go along here gave her a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. See, children come from the Lord. He's the author of life. They can't invent life. They can do a lot of mutations and things like that, but children come from God. Breath comes from God. God breathed into Adam. And when you got saved, he... He, you have the life of Adam and the breath of Adam, but when you got saved, you got the breath of God, and you became spiritual. And so, as he did so year by year, notice, year by year, 
year by year. Here we go again, another offering. Here we go, another sacrifice. When she went up to the house of the Lord, I want you to notice something in verse 7. As he did so, it says, verse 6, and her adversary also provoked her for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so, her adversary and your adversary is the devil, always referred to as he. Are you with me? But I want you to notice it says, as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Somehow the devil left from being a he and went to a she. I think it was Penina. And Penina got full of the devil, so Penina was the voice piece for the devil and was provoking Hannah. Are you with me? It says, so uh, she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. So, so we, we understand that the, the Lord works through people, and guess what? The devil works through people. Sometimes you can see it, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes there's sublime things going on that people are being manipulated by Satan to work against the people of God, the church of God, the man of God. And, uh, and sometimes they, they intend to provoke uh, Christians into doing things that are irrational, unchristlike. And so that's what uh, was going on here. And so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. So let's pray. Father, I ask for your blessing on the reading of your word and give me grace and wisdom and strength to preach just what you want to be said tonight. And we'll pray uh, that you'll have your way in every heart and life that's here tonight and in mine. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to look at verse 8. Then said Elkanah, her husband, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Here's a typical male response. Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So he, he thought that her problem was that she didn't have uh, children, but that wasn't her problem. She wanted a man-child for the Lord. She didn't want a man-child to say, look at my boy. She wanted a man-child to say, he can serve God. I want to help him to learn how to serve God. And frankly, a lot of people today need to understand that if it wasn't for the women training children in the Lord, we'd lose a lot more than we're losing already. Many churches, most churches, are occupied by faithful women and few men. Most men think it's, not, it's beneath their dignity to do spiritual things and be faithful to God and to be submissive to the, uh, to the hand of the Lord, and they leave that up. That's women's work, and that goes along with child training. And if it wasn't for the women that are faithful to God, we would lose a lot more than we're already losing. Because the, the reason women are running churches today is not because they're uh, unnecessarily aggressive, though some might be, but it's because the men don't step up to the plate and do what they're supposed to do. Most of the women would be glad to have a man leading them in the things of God. Instead of having to say, well, you don't want to go to church, it's okay, but I'm going to go. And I'm going to tell you something. Your man has a right to control you in a lot of ways, but if he or anybody else gets between you and your God, 
He doesn't have a right to do that. Nobody's got a right to get between you and your God. He can tell you to don't spend money and maybe wear different clothes and don't go certain places. He may be able to choose your friends, a lot of things. But when he tells you don't serve God, don't read your Bible, and don't go to church, he's, out, he's, he's gone beyond the bounds of his responsibility because he is not God to you. The same thing's true in reverse. Oh, I know there's no women here that would ever do that. I know, my sarcasm abounds to extremes. So here we see that Hannah rose up after, she, uh, after they had eaten in verse 9, and after they had drunk, and now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. So this is her first prayer that we're going to look at. And she vowed a vow... And said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. So, I don't believe in a get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't think that's what this was. I don't think she was saying, Oh, please, just do this one thing for me, and I'll serve you the rest of my life, like so many people they want uh, the Lord to approve their loan or to change their spouse or to make it possible for them to uh, get a job or, you know, they, they try to negotiate a deal with God. And that's not what this was here. She came before the Lord saying, I think about six times, I'm the hand, don't forget I'm your handmaid. I know the scripture. I've been in the Bible. I'm one of your servants. I'm serving you. Regardless of whether my husband's got other women or not, I'm your handmaid. I'm serving you. And I'm coming to you on the basis that I love you and I'm your servant. And so she prayed in that vein. I, I think it's a good thing if we come to the Lord and remember we're nobody and you're everything. I'm a nobody, God. And you don't have to answer my prayer, but Lord, I, I've got a burden. And she had a burden about the work of God. She had a burden about the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. She had a burden about Eli himself. And she had a burden about, uh, about having a man-child. She didn't just want to have a baby. I don't see that in here at all. And, she made a, and, and so she was already in a covenant relationship with God before she got to verse 11. She saw herself as a handmaid of the Lord. She had a previous commitment to Him, and she trusted Him to do what He had promised to do. Based on the history of her relationship with the Lord, she pleads with Him to answer her prayer so that she can be a blessing. She made a covenant, and she used the word if. If, and when there's an if, it's like if, if, you, if, if you agree to this, then we're in a covenant relationship. It's like, as I mentioned already, uh, you know, a boss employee and uh, I, uh, all kinds of covenants uh, uh, that, we, that we get into, banker and borrower, uh, we get into covenants, and there's always the if. And you can ask them, what happens if I don't make the payments? And there's a condition attached to the covenant. And there's a condition attached to our covenant blessing uh, from God. God promises us all kinds of blessing. No good thing will He withhold. But if we break the covenant and we don't obey the, the gospel and obey the conditions of the covenant that we signed up for, guess what? The blessings go out the window. Because we don't get God's blessings on our terms. We do not, let me say that again, maybe you didn't get it. 
We do not get God's blessings on our terms. We do not get salvation on our terms. This world is full of people that have homemade religion. They've decided they don't like the pastor, they don't like the church, they don't like the strict rules, and so we just read our Bible at home. A guy told me that one time. He and his family said they just read their Bible at home. They have church in their living room. I said, well, who, do you, who takes the tithes and what missionaries are you supporting? That's an unscriptural church. And it's leading their children to hell. You cannot decide what the church is. The Bible's already defined the church. You can't decide... Uh, what to do with the missions money and what to do with the tithe. The Lord already described that in the Word of God. God's already made those things clear. And if you call yourself a Christian and you've stepped outside the covenant, you're just a liar. You've just made up something for your homemade, uh, for your homemade church and you just want to have it your way and I'm going to have it my way or else. You're just like a baby that has to have their own way. See, and that goes on all the time because people have a hard time getting to the place where they get where Hannah was, said, I'm your servant, I'm your handmaid. I, I, what you want, that's what I want. But I've got a burden about this situation with these two wicked men and the people are being cheated, the women are being abused, and the priest is looking the other way, and I'm concerned about that. I wonder what you're concerned about. You concerned about losing control of something? Are you concerned about the work of God going around the world? Are you concerned about carrying on? You know, there's only two, Jesus said there's two great commandments. One is to love your neighbor as yourself, and the other is to love the Lord with all your heart. If you love the Lord with all your heart, you're going to keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And he talks about keeping his commandments. God expects us to do what he commanded us to do. When he said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, it doesn't mean to gather at Jerusalem and have a holy uh, holy, uh, experience every Sunday morning. It means we've got to get the job done of sending people into the regions beyond with the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of whether or not it's safe or rather, regardless whether or not it's comfortable, or whether or not we can afford it, what's that got to do with doing what God said to do? I found out that when you do what God told you to do, He will supply everything you need to get the job done. And you say, well, I've got to figure out a way to get this done. Quit figuring and start following what God told you to do. And so we've got a lot of churches and a lot of people today that are, that are missing the point that Hannah made. She said, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. What she was saying, I know he can do anything. I know the Lord can take care of this. I can't figure it out. I'm burdened about it, but I'm taking it. My wife uh, came to my office one time and she had a burden about something. I forget what it was, that's probably good. But she came in and I said, I said, well, you need to take that to the complaint department. She said, where's that? I said, I said, there's some things I don't have any control over. There's some things I can't fix. I I don't like that as a man, as a pastor. I don't like to say there's some things I can't fix. There's some things that we need to present to the Lord because we know that he cares and he can do anything. And some things we have to lay at his feet and say, Lord, this is more than I can do. I don't know what to do with it, but you do. And so Hannah 
was the handmaiden of the Lord. And I have to ask you tonight, when you pray, is it all about I want? Or is it all about I'm your servant? What do you want? If it's all about what I want, no wonder you're not getting what you want. Because God never said, I'm going to give you everything you want. And if he did, it'd be a curse to you. Because things, we're not supposed to love things, we're supposed to love people. Okay. So, she vowed a vow in verse 11, and said, If thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, she sealed it with a vow, then I will give him, I, she said, if what you will do, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And so she had standing with the Lord before she made the covenant, before she made the request. She had a standing. She knew Jehovah Adonai, the Lord of the Lords, the ruler and covenant keeper. She knew Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. She knew Jehovah Shammah, the Lord whose presence. She knew El Shaddai, the one who's powerful and provides nourishment. Because no doubt she had read the Old Testament. No doubt she was a student of God's word. And she no doubt knew who she was talking to. The one who could fix it. She was talking to the one who was unlimited in his integrity and unlimited in his power and unlimited in his uh, love. And so uh, that's, uh, I can't tell you all the details of Hannah's faith, but she, uh, the, in verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul. This is the prayer of her faith. She prayed in the Lord and wept. And then she had the promise of her faith in verse 11. She made a covenant. And the product of her faith was Samuel. And we're not going to go through every detail of that, but you know the story about Samuel. Um, and uh, she said in verse 27 of chapter 1, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition. The Lord. She didn't say, look what I did. She didn't say for one moment, you know, I took some uh, uh, therapy and I went to uh, get some uh, minerals and vitamins and no, she said, the Lord has answered my prayer. I don't know whether she did anything else. I don't know whether she did or not, but she understood that the answer to her prayer came from the hand of God. Do you understand that every blessing that you have comes from the hand of God? You say, well, my boss loves me, and that's why I have a good job. Well, I hope he doesn't get a headache, because when he's gone, your blessing's gone. You need to understand that your blessing came a lot further up the chain than your boss. Amen? And we have a, we have a need today for people to recognize the authority of God in their life and the power of God and the, and the possibility of God's blessing in their life. And we need to be willing to pray a prayer like Hannah did so that we could have uh, evidence or proof of our faith. But notice in chapter 2 and verse 19, the progress of her faith. Her mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer, here it is again, the yearly sacrifice. So this was an ongoing thing. She went to the temple yearly for sacrifice when she didn't even have Santa, uh, Samuel. All she had was the hope of a son and she prayed and poured out her soul and vowed a vow and now time goes by, she's still going and making an annual sacrifice. Praise God for people that don't quit in hard times. 
They don't quit because they don't get what they want. They don't quit because God doesn't do things the way they think He does. Did you ever notice how that with a hurricane or 911, that we are quick to say, why did God let that happen? That is none of your business. It's not my business, and it's none of anybody's business. You, can, it, you cannot blame it on using too much water at the hotel and green and, and the world's melting. That is so ridiculous. I went to, uh, I was in New Hampshire, and I went to, we stopped at a, a restaurant. I went to the restroom. They have waterless urinals to save the climate. They're ruining the neighborhood, but they're saving the climate. I'm saying people, people are not thinking. And, and climate change is not going to save the world. I'm not saying that we should abuse the climate or abuse the resources that we have. We should learn how to use the resources properly and the best we can. But that's not going to save the world, I'll tell you right now. And, and we need to get before the Lord and understand that He's the God of heaven. He's the one that answers prayer. He's the one that said, come unto me and I will give you rest and I'll answer your prayers. And whatsoever you ask in my name, believing, I'll do it for you. I'm, we serve a prayer answering God. We don't have to go to a committee or negotiate a deal with a politician to get the will of God. We need to get on our knees and say, oh God, I'm your servant. I'm your handmaid. I'm, I'm available for you and I'm serving you. I know the history of who you are and I know what you're capable of and I want to see you work in my life. I've got a burden about the ministry. It'd be good if we got a burden about the ministry instead of just trying to do better than we did last year. It'd be good if we got a burden about the ministry instead of just trying to outdo somebody else. It'd be good if we got a burden about the ministry so that we could see what the evidence of God's blessing in our own life and in, in what we're doing because we've submitted ourselves as, as Hannah did. Now notice her first prayer. Oh, well, we see here the prosperity of, of her faith in 1 Samuel 2. Uh, and verse 20, Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went to their own home, and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived. Now get it, mark this, and bear three sons and two daughters. And she was, for all practical purposes, sterile. <laughs> she prayed for one. She got the one she prayed for, and she got five more. I don't know how you calculate it, but it looks to me like 500% increase. That's a pretty good increase. And I don't think she gave so that she could have six. She, gave, she prayed so she could have one. But God said, you indeed are my handmaid. Not only am I going to give you the one you prayed for, I'm going to give you a basket full. I've seen that happen over and over again. God gives us more than we ask for, better than we deserve. And so her first prayer, it says, verse 20 says, The Lord blessed Elkanah and his wife. The Lord visited Hannah, verse 21. Verse 21, she bare three sons and uh, two daughters. 
So her first prayer that was in 1 Samuel 1, 10, and 11 is 55 words when she prayed in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord. And, and we do pray in bitterness because we're, we're emotional people. We have happiness, we have joy, and we have sadness, and we have sorrow, and we have all kinds of things. And God's a person. We can talk to Him as a real person. And He's God, so we can lay our burdens before Him and be passionate about it. So she prayed a prayer unto the Lord. And uh, in bitterness of soul, and she wept. Verse 7, she did not eat. I don't know. I mean, she was so concerned about this. Uh, she was fasting, and, and she was a handmaiden of the Lord. She saw the wickedness going on at the house of God and the work that was going undone, but she never opened her mouth to the priest to complain. She talked to the complaint department. And she asked for a solution. She didn't ask for... A, she didn't ask for destruction for the priest or his family, but she asked for a solution to the problem. Sometimes a solution to the problem is better than your idea. And God doesn't have to take your ideas, but He can fix the problem with or without your ideas. And we need to turn some things over to Him because sometimes we don't have good ideas. We just want, we have a we have an investment, we have a will, we have a want to, and we want it this way. And God said, well, I'm going to fix it, but it's not your way. It's going to be my way. So, so then uh, she vowed a vow, and uh, she said, remember me, and give me your promised blessing. She made a promise. But we come to prayer too. It's in 1 Samuel 1 and verse 12. First prayer was 55 words. She was in bitterness of soul. Prayer 2, verse 12 of chapter 1. It says, it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord, that Elkanah marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. Now that's a close pastoral relationship with the handmaiden of the Lord. She was probably closer to the Lord than Eli was. Now, there may be people in a church that love the Lord, they're servants of the Lord, and don't kid yourself, uh, you're, you're, you're not in competition with anybody else, but thank God if you're in a close relationship with the Lord, there will be evidence in your life that God's hand is on you. It may not be on leadership or others who want to be promoted to power and importance, but if you be the handmaid or the servant of the Lord, you'll have the evidence in your life that God answers prayer and He's blessing your life and you can praise God for His answered prayers. Amen. And so, uh, she had prayed uh, and Eli said, how long, in verse 14, wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. <clears throat> I can think of a few times that I've poured out my soul. Most of our praying is out of requirement and out of uh, necessity. But sometimes we get a burden. 
Sometimes we get a burden for somebody, for some missionary, for some country, or for some people, or some family member, or some person that's in the hospital. We get a burden, and we pour out our soul to God in a different way than we just say, oh, Lord, please bless them. They need uh, God bless them. They need, they need your blessing. It's more than that. We say, oh, Lord, please help. And show your servant how that I'm to behave myself. I'm your servant. I'm your handmaiden. And that... We can never lose focus of Hannah's obedience was the reason for her blessing. Hannah's willingness to recognize his authority and her submission to it was the reason that she got the blessing that she asked for. And she got more than she asked for. She asked for a son, a man-child, and God gave her six children. I'd say that's a pretty good return. And so we notice that... Uh, uh, she wanted to be a blessing. And I think that's the first point that we need to consider. I pray every morning of my life that the Lord will make me a blessing today. Make me a blessing to somebody. I'm so prone to be a curse. I'm so prone to be negative and selfish and full of pride. God help me to get over that and be a blessing to somebody. You say, well, you have pride? Yeah, and you do too. Pride is in all of it. It's a cancer that runs deep in our society. And not just our society, it runs deep. It's the original sin. And it's, it, 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 it ruins our fellowship with each other and with God. And so every day I ask the Lord, Lord, make me a blessing. Help me be a blessing to somebody. And he, and he answers that. She prayed with a sorrowful spirit, poured out her soul, and uh, wine was not the cause of her present discomposure, but the grief of her heart. And neither wine nor any kind of drink has been poured out unto me. I poured out my soul to the Lord. There's a great deal of, of uh, she said, don't count me as a child of the devil. I'm not a drunk. I, I, how could you think that? I, I poured out my soul to the Lord. And so... The Bible says in Psalm 62, God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. So this brings me to Hannah's third and final prayer that's recorded. 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you look there in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you will notice <clears throat> that it says, and Hannah prayed, and now this is after, after she prayed and the priest called her a drunk. This is after she prayed and poured out her soul and said, I'm your handmaid. This is her third prayer now. It's after she got what God gave her. Her first prayer was 55 words. But notice this. In verse... Uh, uh, number one, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none 
uh, beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. You can go ahead and read the rest of it. 264 words of thankfulness as opposed to 55 words of request. Hey, when did you go and thank the Lord for what he answered? When did you go and spend about five times as much time praising God for the answer to your prayer than you did for pouring out your soul to him? That's what Hannah did. She rejoiced in the Lord. She said, I poured out my soul. I'm not a drunken woman. And uh, I've poured out my heart. And then she prayed 264 words of praise. That's kind of unlike us. We just kind of do business with God and say, God, this is what I need, and I know you've got it, so why don't you give it to us? There's not much uh, personal relationship, but she was the handmaid of God. She knew God in a personal way. She knew God that could answer prayer. And if you know God that answers prayer, when he does answer prayer, you ought to be shouting from the rooftops, look what God did, not look what I did, look what we got, look where we're going, but look what God's doing. And somebody will say, oh yeah, well God didn't do that. And you've got to let them believe what they want to believe and just go on your way praising God and thanking Him for the blessing. And in time, people... Yeah, I've had people say... I've had people who had a different agenda for me than God did who said, I don't know where you get all those blessings. And I said, well, they come from the Lord. When you, when you, put, when you are willing to put yourself in the proper uh, posture before the Lord as his servant, and you leave the results with him, and you pour out your soul to him, there's no telling what kind of blessings that you're going to enjoy. And it will astound your detractors. It'll just make them angry. They'll probably join the Democratic Party. (laughs) They'll just get mad. People don't like to see God's hand on spiritual people if they're not spiritual. They get jealous. And uh, if you have anything, they'll say, I bet he stole it. He's crooked just like all the rest of them. And they'll say bad things. and they Just let them say, let them talk. Let them blow in the wind. That'll come back to haunt them. You, and you can't fix that. You cannot fix that. No amount of evidence will... Uh, will... Uh, make it better for the accused if the jury has already made their mind up. And so you're surrounded with people that are against God. They hated Jesus. Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. He's a murderer, but we like him. We can identify with him. We don't want this man. He's, uh, he fellowships with sinners. Their mind was made up. Long before he was crucified, he... Their mind was made up before they ever made a decision, even though they said, I find no fault in him. That didn't make any difference to the jury. (laughs) They didn't want evidence. They wanted their way. They're just like you and me. If we didn't have the Lord and we didn't humble ourselves to the Lord, we'd want our way. That's what we want. We want our way. We want what we want. And until or unless we can get down and say, Lord, it's not my will, but thy will be done. That's why he said, I love this. He said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. 
You don't just pray on Sunday, do you? I mean, come on. You don't just pray when you need something, do you? You ought to always pray. You ought to be involved in everything that you're doing and everything you want and every place you go. God ought to be involved in that. You don't turn him off when you walk out the church. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Men ought always to pray. We ought to ask God for the decisions that we make and the, the people that we associate with, the habits that we have. We have to pray about those things because he wants to use us and he won't use a dirty vessel any more than you'd want a surgeon working on your heart to use an old butter knife to fix your heart valve. I want him to use me and I want to be clean enough that he will use me. And the only way to get clean is to confess, admit, accept responsibility and follow his commandments. There's there's more commandments in the New Testament than there was in the Old Testament. I see you got the Ten Commandments posted up out there. How many of you can name them? And how many of you follow them? Well, guess what? There's about 464 commandments in the New Testament. And most of them we don't know. We don't go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and we're not doing a very good job of that in most cases. So, <clears throat> so, uh, This prayer three, she rejoiced in prayer. She said, my horn is exalted. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Chapter two and verse one talks about prosperity and triumph. It's a symbol of strength and power. The horn is often metaphorically used to signify strength and honor because horns are chief weapons and ornaments of animals which possess them. And they are also used to designate a type of victory. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all day. In thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horns shall be exalted. Psalm 89, 15 through 18. For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. She said, my mouth is enlarged over my enemies. Hannah felt like a winner. I, all my life till I got saved, I was a loser. And I wasn't, when people ask, I still do this today, people say, how are you doing? I said, better than expected. All of my folks didn't expect anything good to come from my life. And maybe not much has, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm happy in the Lord. And I know where I'm going when I finish this journey. And I'm glad to be saved. And I'm thankful the Lord has answered so many prayers uh, for me and my wife and our family. And so Hannah said, I rejoice in thy salvation. And finally she said in First First Samuel 2 and verse 2, there is none as holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. So, none beside the absolute existence. Outside of him there's no existence. So I want to ask you tonight, are you in a covenant relationship with that kind of a God, or are you just joined the church? Are you just kind of uh, doing what everybody else is doing? Are you, in a, are you in a relationship with God that you recognize His awesome power and authority, and you recognize yourself as His servant, and available for service to do miraculous things through His power and His leading, not your ideas, but His ideas, are you willing to do that, or are you just kind of going with the flow? And You know, Christians, I, I, I use this example, and I, I think it may be a poor example, but it's, it, it illustrates something to me. 
I don't know if you've ever seen a school of fish. One time my wife and I went out, mackerel, went out fishing. We weren't fishing for mackerel, but mackerel surrounded the boat up in Boston Harbor, up that way somewhere. And uh, so mackerel swim in a big school, and they come around this way, and uh, so if one of them finds a bait, they all go over that way. But then somebody throws something in on the other side of the boat, and they all go over that way. Did you know that's just like uh, the modern-day religious person? I don't want to use the word Christian, but the modern-day religious person, and they hear something on television, and they got everybody over there. And they hear something down at the big church, and everybody goes over there. But there's not very many people that are reading and feeding on the Word of God. And they need to find a place where they can read and feed on the Word of God so that they can uh, they cannot just be like a school of fish, but they can recognize that I'm a servant of God. I may be among people that are not servants of God, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do what God asks us to do, believing that God will do what He's promised to do. And so that's where we leave the story with Hannah and understand that uh, it's a heart issue. There's a song, I don't know if you know the song, How About Your Heart. You know that song, preacher? How about your heart? Friend, how would you feel if your heart were made with a window on each side so that all could see not just outward joy, but what goes on inside? People often see you as you are outside, but Jesus really knows you for he sees inside. Great song. I wonder if you're involved in the harvest. Every church and every Christian ought to be involved in the harvest. And one of the best ways to be involved, if you're not going to go yourself, is to send somebody else. The best way to do that is give an annual faith promise offering. And that's no substitute for going. As a matter of fact, you could do both. I don't know a missionary that doesn't also give to missions somewhere else. So, Hannah was an ordinary woman who wanted to be a part of the blessing. She asked for something to help others, gave what she promised, prospered tremendously for her faith, her faithfulness, and for her annual sacrifice. And you'll find out that the annual sacrifice turns around to be a blessing in disguise. So I hope that you're on board with the church missions program, the direction the pastor's leading. I hope you're on board with uh, helping the church to send missionaries and, and to be a testimony about what God can do in foreign places. And if you really want to get on board with it, go visit a missionary. If you go vision, visit a missionary, it will change your life. And, and uh, so I hope that tonight that you'll see yourself as God's servant. Let's stand together. I'm going to turn this over to the pastor, but I'd like to pray before I do. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, and thank you for Hannah's prayers. Lord, you heard every one of them, and she knew it, and she thanked you tremendously for the great blessing you gave in her life. And Lord, you answer prayer in our lives and help us not to be timid about sharing the hand of God and the blessing of God in our lives. Help us to be faithful to do what you've called us to do and rejoice when you answer our prayers and be a testimony about what you're uh, doing in our lives. 
so that souls might be saved and churches might be strengthened and, uh, and your name glorified. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.